Welcome to Spew, Spectrum People Enjoying Wizardry. I'm Queerness, and I've Asperger's Syndrome. I'm Lavender, and my daughter, Abby Cadabby, has nonverbal autism. And I now call this 20th meeting of Spew to order. Hello, Queerness. How are you today? I'm good today. How are you? Better. Oh, good. I had another meltdown. This one, I blame my brother. Not the (laughs) brother I like, the other one. (laughs) He did that thing where he had a bill, but because he never had a paper bill, and because he didn't know his password, he just got mad every time they sent him a letter saying that he was past due, because it was their fault. Oh, yeah. He couldn't just change his password? No, apparently. Did he ever get the bill paid? Yeah, he called them and just paid everything off. But this was like an every three months thing. He would, like, get mad at them because they would send him a letter saying he was late. And he's like, of course it's late. You never sent me a bill. He's like, that's that's not their responsibility. I mean, it is, but it's not. Like, I spent the last four years listening to people make the same argument. Mm. And they were all idiots. It is very frustrating, especially from a customer service point of view. (laughs) In birth dates for the second half of the month, we have Professor Sprout on the 15th, Anna Schaefer, who played Romilda Vane, is also on the 15th, Stanislav Ianvesky, who played Victor Crumb, is on the 16th, Paul Whitehouse, who played Sir Cottigan, is on the 17th, Miriam Margoyles, who played Pomona Sprout, is on the 18th. Geraldine Somerville, who played Lily Potter, is on the 19th. Jim Broadbent, who played Horace Slugcorns, on the 24th. The 26th, we have Helena Bonham Carter and William Dunn, who played James Sirius Potter. And the 31st is Colin Farrell, who played Percival Graves. I like how if you if you look at all the birth dates we have listed out, it's 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. It's very satisfying. It's also just a lot of names. A lot of names, a lot of May birthdays. <laughs> so today we are covering the second half of Prisoner of Azkaban. I've got a couple follow-up things of some questions we had last month. First one was who's Saint Brutus? Saint Brutus. Saint Brutus. So he is not a real saint. He is in fact named after the Shakespeare character that killed Julius Caesar. It is foreshadowing. I love J.K. Rowling's foreshadowing that you only get when you research names. Yeah, and there's a lot of it. There is a lot of it. I was not able to find an answer as to why they couldn't print in color, other than the fact that their technology is a little bit behind. Okay. I also couldn't figure out what a magical rat was. 
but I did find a answer as to why batteries worked. Because I remember we were talking about why Hermione's watch worked. Yeah. I found a completely different reference to why Colin Creevy's camera worked at Hogwarts, even though it was a muggle camera. And she said that clearly his camera is running off the magical atmosphere, which is like, okay... But that kind of contradicts the whole purpose of Muggle stuff not working. Yeah, a little bit. That's not how Nokia's work, Joanne. All right. I'm looking at my first note and trying to figure out what autocorrect meant. Because my note is, it's Hermione's fault that Harry Bollinger has the best broom. And I'm going, who's Harry Bollinger? That's what I was wondering when I saw it. I was like, okay, I didn't read this closely enough, apparently. So what I meant to say is, it is Hermione's fault that Harry doesn't have the best broom. Which I would agree. Yes, but it's in this chapter, we're on chapter 11, the Patronus. This is a thought and feeling that Harry has. He doesn't have the best broom because of Hermione. Which, if you look at it, that is very much like a 12, 13 year old boy thought to have. (laughs) (laughs) No, my friend wasn't looking out for my well-being and personal safety. She just didn't want me to have the best broom for Quidditch. (laughs) Another Hermione moment. When they're talking about Lupin being a werewolf, Hermione just says, Well, isn't it obvious? And it's like, she didn't realize that she was the only one that barely figured it out. That's a very Hermione thing, though. Well, and continuing on the talk with Hermione, I found it supremely irritating how she handled this. Because you got to think, in this chapter, her and the two boys are kind of at odds. They're not really speaking with each other because Hermione told McGonagall about the firebolt. Mm-hmm. And the firebolt got confiscated, so they're not really talking to each other. And they're in Defense Against the Dark Arts. And they just bring up Lupin like, man, is he sick again? Or something to that effect. And she kind of gets all just kind of snotty about it with her, you know, well, isn't it obvious? Well, obviously it's not, Hermione, (laughs) or they wouldn't be bringing it up and questioning it. I just found it really irritating. It's moments like that that Hermione does kind of get under my skin. Like, we know you're super smart. You don't really have to flaunt it and make other people feel bad for not being as smart as you. No, not true. Everyone should be as smart as me. But then you wouldn't be considered smart anymore. You would just be average. Ah. Ah, because now everyone is average. Now everyone is smart. Everyone is super. No one will be. Exactly. I also kind of noticed how Dementors, expanding on the depression, it's very much like when I have a meltdown and it's kind of like a blackout. I don't really remember what happened. I I don't remember exactly how it's described in this chapter, but the way it was described just very much connected with me on that. See, and I, in in my mind, I equate Dementor effects to anxiety attacks. I mean, it almost hits the, hits the nail right on the head for me. Just kind of panicky, shaky, could use some chocolate afterwards. <laughs> I mean, it ticks all the boxes for me. Chocolate. Chocolate. The next chapter, Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw, I didn't find any metaphors in this chapter but i did have a bunch of thoughts how is crookshanks the only cat wandering around the grounds right like she can't be the only pupil with a cat we know better there should be cats everywhere which brings back the question why does ron have a rat when it's not on the list of approved pets (laughs) i mean i guess it's more useful than a frog 
is it though? I don't know. <laughs> really, cats and owls should be it. I feel like there should be like this whole short story about where Trevor goes, and he's like trying to get Neville good grades the whole time, and just keeps failing because he keeps getting caught. I didn't really find any metaphors in this chapter either, but I can a hundred percent without a doubt, share that, in fact, Hermione doesn't really show any care for other people's pets in this book at all. No. Well, except for Buckbeak. Yeah, but even then, I don't think that that was out of love for Buckbeak. That was out of love for Hagrid. And also because she felt a sense of injustice being done to Buckbeak. Mm. But, you know, like when Lavender's rabbit dies, she's just like, mmm... Was it an old rabbit? Were you expecting this? Like, she's not, she doesn't try to comfort at all. She's just like, well, you should have known. <laughs> and she really doesn't care about Scabbers' well-being. She really doesn't. I mean, we all know Scabbers is not Scabbers, but we don't know that yet. And she's just like, yeah, my cat's gonna eat your rat. Get over it. That's what cats do, Ron. I was also distracted by the fact that Gryffindor scored the first goal of the game and then Lee Jordan immediately says that the score was 80 to 0 or something. He, Gryffindor led by 80 points after the first goal of the game. I'm like, that's not right. That's not how the scoring works. Oh, wow. It's very hard for me to keep up with the Quidditch chapters, to be honest. Number one, I'm not very sports inclined. And they're just, they're kind of... They're very fast paced and there's a lot yes, going on. Yes, they move so fast. Yes. Another thing that, this was just kind of a, a fun little quirk that I was just like, now I want to know. Where is McGonagall's bedroom? Because she is not in Gryffindor Tower, but the party kept waking her up and she had to come in and yell at them multiple times. Yeah, they never address that. This is also the chapter where the newly appointed guardian of, of the Gryffindor Tower, Sir Cadigan... At the very end of this chapter, he lets Sirius Black in because he has the list of passwords that Neville had to write down to keep up with them. And I'm just... So Sir Cadigan couldn't realize that this guy was clearly not authorized school personnel or a student and still let him in just because he had the password? Well, this is kind of the same confusion I had with the fat lady with why is there passwords in the first place? It's, it's not a very secure system. Well, I mean, they couldn't do it just based off, oh, I know you, you're a Gryffindor because of, you know, Polyjuice Potion. Right, you have to use a combination of passwords and authorizations, but, like, they both rely on passwords way too heavily. I'm just saying, Sir Cadigan knew better, or should have known better. But I don't think he cared. Exactly. In this next chapter, we get more of Hagrid is 100% on the spectrum. He has a yellow and orange tie. <laughs> That doesn't mean he's on the spectrum. <laughs> Hermione also still found a way to work on Buckbeak's case on top of all of this extra work she's doing. Mm -hmm. I really liked this Hagrid quote of, oh, well, people t can be a bit stupid about their pets. <laughs> From the horse's mouth. <laughs> Behind him, Buckbeak spat a few ferret bones onto Hagrid's pillow. Because if there's anybody in this series that can be a bit stupid about their pets, it's Hagrid. Also, Ron and Hermione, neither one can read other people's emotions in the slightest. That's a very good mm, parallel or connection that you've made here. Because maybe that's why they're perfect for each other. Maybe that's why they get together in the end. 
because both are clueless as to how to read other people, including each other. Yeah, I do also think this is the underlying theme throughout this book of people not paying attention to other people and specifically not listening to each other. I can see that. Also, this is just a really great Snape quote. Your head is not allowed in Hogsmeade. No part of you is allowed in Hogsmeade. <laughs> I really couldn't find any, um, any autism connections in this chapter. I just love that in the actual physical book, when it gets to the to the part where Snape has the Marauder's Map and is trying to figure out what it is and is being very, you know, I, Snape, the, the master of the school, demand you reveal yourself. In the book, all of the Marauders had different handwriting for what they were saying to Snape, and I just love that. I think it was a very nice touch. The UK version of the handwriting and the US version is very different. What do you mean? I noticed this earlier with some of the letters they were writing. In the US version, whenever you have multiple people writing something, there's like different script fonts for each of their handwritings. But in the UK version, it's like just a slightly different font. <laughs> kind of disappointing. Mm, well, I didn't know that going in and I was impressed. <laughs> Now, in the UK audiobook, though, Stephen Fry's Wormtail voice sounds like Marvin the Martian, and I couldn't stop laughing. Mr. Wormtail bids Professor Snape good day and advises him to wash his hair, the slime ball. Oh, wow. Next chapter is the Quidditch final. And the first thing I noticed in this chapter was a weird something specific in the way it was written. Whenever she said the word to see, as in see into the crystal ball, S-E-E, -E. see had a capital S. Yep. Just like seer. Trulani is a seer, and it's with a capital S. <laughs> but that is a description of a person that the fact that the act also has the capital S, I found very religious. Mm, I guess I can see that. <laughs> see. Trelawney, to Hermione, said, Indeed, I don't remember ever meeting a student whose mind was so hopelessly mundane. And I love that. This hurt. This was physically painful when she th said that. I love it just for the pure fact this is the first time in, like, the history of ever, and I think one of the only times, too, that a teacher has a criticism for Hermione. And I am not a Hermione hater in any ways. I love Hermione, but she needs to be taken down a peg or two sometimes, and especially in this book. It's good for Hermione to not be the best at something. I disagree. I don't know why, but I just found it funny that after, you know, Trelawney tells Hermione, I've never met a student whose mind was so hopelessly mundane, and Hermione's kind of having a little bit of a meltdown about it, Parvati and Lavender were looking completely scandalized. I think they were actually looking scandalized because Ron, Harry, and Hermione weren't taking looking into the crystal glass seriously and they were kind of joking. Mm -hmm. So, per, you know, Parvati and Lavender over there were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. <laughs> Trelawney says, you were interfering with the clairvoyant vibrations. I just, I don't know why, it just cracks me up. Then in this chapter, Lee Jordan was cheating by telling the Gryffindor team where all the bludgers are. And McGonagall didn't really care. <laughs> <laughs> nope. She didn't say a word about it. Another interesting quote is that 
as they are celebrating winning the Quidditch final, Harry's thought is, if only there had been a Dementor around, he felt he could produce the world's best Patronus. Yeah. I don't know if that's happy or sad. Mm, probably a little bit of both, I guess. <laughs> the next chapter is the finals, and the fact that Hermione, Hermione's Bogart was Professor McGonagall saying she had failed everything. But then I remembered that, that, yeah, we hadn't seen that before because Lupin didn't let her try the Bogart earlier, and I don't know why. Yeah, I don't think he ever, we ever addressed that as to why Lupin never let her. Because he, he singled her out with Harry not to do it. Mm-hmm. At first, I thought maybe it was because in that class, she answers, like, his only two questions to the class, and she answers them correctly, so he was like, okay. Mm. Yeah. Enough points to Gryffindor from you, but they never really seriously address that. And then after Trelawney makes her real prediction, Harry is still not sure if it's a real prediction or if this was her idea of an impressive end to the test. Which, I mean, makes sense. I would be feeling some kind of way too if this lady that I feel is kind of a fraud and very just over the top and dramatic for appeal. I mean, I can, I would think that too. I also thought it was interesting that when Hagrid becomes upset, when he writes letters, his sentences become very stilted. Because he sends him a letter that says, Lost appeal, going to execute at sunset, nothing you can do, don't come down, I don't want to see you. His sentences become very abrupt, single thought, stilted sentences. Mm -hmm. And I very much relate to that. Yeah. I mean, it's hard enough when you're in that mindset to try to communicate what you're thinking or feeling. So I think that that has something to do with it. I mean, he's very highly upset. They've put in a whole bunch of work into Buckbeak's appeal just for it to, you know, not work out because Lucius Malfoy destroys everything. Also, does appeals work differently in the UK? Because Hermione's acting as if the appeal is like this built-in important part of the trial and not like something you do just because you disagree. Well, I'm sure it's very different than it is here in the US. We should research that. We're going to take a quick break. Here is a trivia question. What memory did Harry use when he first tried to produce the Patronus charm? I'll be right back. This is Jeffrey, the financial advisor for Spew at Gringotts Bank. And now we return to Spew. And we're back. Lavender. Do you remember what the first memory he used was? Finding out he was going to Hogwarts? That he was a wizard? No, I think that was like his second or third one. The first one was the first time he rode a broomstick. Okay. He was very bad at finding happy memories. Well, he didn't have too many to pull from. Then in Cat, Rog Cat Rat, and Dog... <laughs> The first thing here is Hermione is suddenly very scared and does not have a plan. And this felt very un-Hermione-like. Throughout this whole chapter, she is quite useless and it's confusing. <laughs> Another quote here. All Harry knew is that he wanted to hurt Black as badly as he could and he didn't care how much he got hurt in return. I can definitely relate to this. Yeah, 
the biggest takeaway from this chapter for me is, you know, like the first words we actually hear Sirius Black say to the Golden Trio here is, you know, I thought you'd come and help your friend. Your father would have done the same. And Sirius does himself no favors with this intro. He makes himself seem guilty. He doesn't try to explain anything first. He just... No, everything he says is just incriminating himself and he's not trying to get out of it at this point. I don't think he sees the point in trying to get out of it. So he just allows himself to be further incriminated by everything he says. Which is stupid. It is. But this goes back to nobody's listening to anybody, but nobody's explaining anything either. Rereading this, I remembered how irritated... This portion of the book made me the first time I read it because nobody is listening or explaining anything. Everyone is just assuming everyone else is worse. And it's just so frustrating. Communication is key. But also Sirius has a very one-tracked mind. He just wants to kill Peter and he doesn't really care what that takes. Well, and he doesn't care about anything else either. Like, you're right. He has a very one-tracked mind and his main goal is getting a hold of Peter, but dude, it just blows my mind. Like here you have your godson. Finally, you're meeting him in the flesh. You couldn't try to explain like, hey, I loved your parents. I would never betray them. I'm actually your godfather. By the way, Ron, you have a rat that isn't a rat in your pocket. Give him here, please. He wouldn't, he wouldn't have even had to say, hey, it's Peter Pettigrew and I'm out to kill him. Be like, hey, that rat in your pocket isn't who you think he is. Let me show you. And I think everything would have went completely differently. And it's not that he hasn't thought about Harry and all of this. He sent him the fireball. So he hasn't just been sitting here stewing about Peter this entire time. But that's what he makes it seem like. Yeah. Makes himself seem guilty for no reason. It is. It's kind of infuriating. I also find it kind of funny that when Snape gets angry, his wand randomly shoots sparks. Yeah. Snape isn't always got the best self control, huh? Hermione, after they attacked Snape, is going, we attacked a teacher, we attacked a teacher, we're going to be in so much trouble. She's still being so useless, and it's so irritating. Well, in her defense, she did help stun Snape right there. She was one of the three. True. Knocked him out flat. And this is when we finally hear Stephen Fry do Peter Pettigrew voice, and this time it just sounds like Dobby again. <laughs> That's kind of unrelated, but it's just... I was confused because it wasn't Marvin the Martian. My friends! My old friends! I wonder why Stephen Fry was chosen to read the books. I don't know. Why would you get anyone else? Mm, that's true. When Sirius is explaining how he was able to get past the Dementors, this description is quite interesting because he says, It was as if someone had lit a fire in my head and the Dementors couldn't destroy it. It wasn't a happy feeling, it was an obsession, and it gave me strength and cleared my mind. <laughs> so, the thought of murder... <laughs> of just murder in his mind which yeah it's not a happy feeling was definitely as an obsession as we can as we've clearly stated before with his one-tracked mind it was the only thing keeping him sane basically mm -hmm. and then when Sirius brings up Crookshanks and he says you know this cat isn't mad he's the most intelligent of his kind I've ever met how many cats have you been hanging out with I assume a lot, but I don't know when. I guess in his travels as a dog. Before or after Azkaban. Right. I just thought it was weird. But also, has he never met a Kneezel before? Crookshanks is half Kneezel. That's why he's so squat. Yeah, but they are just intelligent wizard cats. 
Also, how did Lupin somehow forget that it was a full moon? Yeah, because that's not something... Because they say a few times in this book, or in this book and future books, that that the Wolfsbane potion has to be taken, like, the week before the full moon. So it's not like... Like, well, every day of the week. Of the full moon, that's right. Yeah. So, did he just forget that whole week? Nah, I, I assume that he's probably just not as aware and conscious as he would be otherwise, or he was, well, because he, he was aware enough to know that he didn't eat anything. So I, I'd say it was more of abundance of caution that he was dangerous more than actually being dangerous. It was a huge oversight on his part. It really was. Uh, I mean, a phenomenal oversight. And not only that... He allowed himself to be chained to Ron. And not only that, he was looking at the map in his office, waiting for Snape to come and bring his Wolfsbane potion, and he left the Marauder's map out as well. He didn't clear it, he just left it out there and was like, I'm gonna go find Peter too. Like, (laughs) so Snape could see the map, didn't give him his potion, and then, you know. I get that there was an urgent rescue need behind it, but it's still very... Somehow between that moment and coming down and talking to them, he completely forgot. Even though he was explaining that he's a werewolf and how all of his friends helped him in school, he just he just still forgot. And in that case, why wouldn't you take the map with you on your rescue mission? Right. Also, I don't... The whole thing with he did not transform until the moon was uncovered. Why does he not just stay inside? That seems like a much easier solution. Right? Just cover the windows and stay inside. It doesn't seem that difficult. Apparently nobody can quarantine correctly. (laughs) In the next chapter, when they're in the hospital wing, Madame Pomfrey says, You should be in bed. Has he had any chocolate? She is a great nurse. She's a lovely nurse. Is she licensed at all? Um, I'm sure. I'm sure she had to go through um, her owls and then do some training at St. Mungo's, but we never know for sure. She could just prescribe chocolate for everyone because she doesn't know what she's doing. She does a lot more than just, you know, prescribe chocolate. No, I think she knows what she's doing. <laughs> she can grow back bones. Yes. Well, she doesn't. She uses a potion invented by Harry's great-great-grandfather. Yep, that's what I was about to say. She uses a potion invented by Harry's family, but... She knew what to do. Another interesting quote. He had expected Dumbledore to pull some amazing solution out of the air. Well, to be honest with you, when I very first ever read this book, so did I. (laughs) Because Dumbledore didn't do that, but then he did. And even then, he didn't pull out some amazing solution. He had an idea, and it was a very vague very vague plan and idea. Why couldn't you just spell it out like, hey? Yeah, but I feel like that's all of his plans is just Harry will figure it out. But Harry didn't this time, Hermione did. Well, most of it at least. Also rereading this for the first time in a long time, I realized a lot of our understanding of how this time travel works has been altered by the movie and not so much the book. Because in the book, it is very clear that you can change time, but that you shouldn't. Where the movie makes it feel much more like a closed loop, and no matter what you do, you've already done it. Right. And I think that's part of why so many people disliked Cursed Child. Because it's so much of a sequel to the books and not the movies at all. Mm, No comment. I didn't like... (laughs) I didn't like Cursed Child for many other reasons, but... 
Also, poor Buckbeak, he just wants to be near Hagrid. Which is really sweet. <laughs> Every time Hagrid is there, he's just trying to get away because he just wants to be near him. And then he gets bored and starts ferreting for worms. Is ferreting a verb? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Also, I noticed when they show up to rescue Sirius from the window, he is not tied up. He's just sitting in the chair, and then he stands up, and he opens the window. Why is he not tied up? Snape tied him up. Yeah. It was just a weird, I don't understand why he's not tied up. I guess they were just secure. They felt secure in the fact that, um, you know, he was in Hogwarts. He had been held. But it's not like he hadn't been into the school at least twice before this year and managed to get out quickly. But why did they untie him? Or did... If you lose focus, it doesn't matter. Once a spell is cast, it's cast. Right. Maybe it was Dumbledore. Dumbledore was like, nah, untie him. And then in the final chapter, Harry and Hermione thought it best to accept their chocolate quietly. I think that's a good philosophy on life. <laughs> accept your chocolate quietly and don't complain. <laughs> when looking for these metaphors, they tend to be very prevalent early-ish on, and then when you get near the end, the last handful of chapters when all the action happens, I have a hard time finding anything. Mm -hmm. And then usually in the last two chapters, you end up with a whole bunch of quotes that are just very beautiful. Like, Dumbledore alone looked calm. Indeed, he looked as though he was quite enjoying himself. <laughs> Which makes me so happy. I mean, think about it. Amidst all the chaos, they've got the Prime Minister, they've got a random Dementor, they've got Snape and, you know, everybody else, and everybody's freaking out. Oh my gosh, he got away again, and Dumbledore is just serene, all-knowing. <laughs> it, it gives me much joy to think about, honestly. And Snape, on the other hand, you don't know Potter. He did it. I know he did it. He's very... <laughs> Very against him. He's right, but also obsessed. And I didn't write it down. Then Fudge says something about Snape being a little unhinged. Yeah. Yeah, after Snape walks away, he like turns to Dumbledore and was like, Is Snape going to be alright? He seems a little unhinged. And I think he's assuming because like in the midst of all this, Snape lost whatever reward they were going to give him for finding uh black and he's like oh you know maybe that's why maybe he, that's a huge disappointment <laughs> it's like no he is purely this mad strictly because he knows potter did it he can't prove it and that potter is getting away with it like that's that's really the main reason why why snape is mad and then when when fudge agrees to get rid of the dementors his solution is perhaps we should think about dragons at the entrance of the school <laughs> To which Dumbledore replies, I think Hagrid would like that. <laughs> and then I, I absolutely loved that Lupin gives the map back and says, I am no longer your teacher, so I don't feel guilty about giving this back to you. After all the crap he gave Harry previously <laughs> for having it. But I, I also, this is very much like me. If I am in a position of power i'm gonna force you to follow the rules but if i'm not in a position of power i don't care if you follow the rules <laughs> do what you want it's not my job to monitor it <laughs> I, i'd say that the big overarching metaphor in this book is that 
nobody wants to listen to anyone else. No one wants to explain themselves. Everyone wants to exist in their own world. And it's very upsetting. Yeah, nobody wants to communicate. Communicate, that's the word. Which I think is almost a very, I could be wrong, but I think that's a very, a very British thing. You know, the, the stiff upper lip. Don't let anybody see you cry, basically. I think that kind of ties into this. Nobody wants to communicate. Nobody would listen even if they did communicate. Mm-hmm. Just carry on. <laughs> Next month, on the 15th, we'll be starting Goblet of Fire. And we'll be doing the first 12 chapters in Goblet of Fire. If you found any metaphors that we missed or you want to comment on anything that we said, you can send us owl mail at spewcast at gmail.com or you can send us an howler there. There'll be a link in the description or you can send us a howler in the U.S. by calling 407-706-SPEW. That's 407-706-7739. This week in Autism Wizards, thought we would do a slightly different type of story. We're going to talk about Eddie Lynn, who is on the spectrum. He is 22 years old and has been making balloon animals since he was 10. And he runs a company called Awesome Balloon Creator. Awesome spelled A-U-S-O-M-E. And for National Superhero Day, he made a balloon doctor and a nurse and a mailman. And they are awesome. I think that's a pretty awesome talent. Number one, I can't, ooh, I cannot make balloon animals. It's very difficult and scary. I can do basic balloon animals. It scares me every time. I'm always afraid it's going to pop right in my face. They don't, that type of balloon doesn't really pop exactly the same way. It's still loud. You're more likely to have them silently deflate on you. So congratulations, Eddie Lynn. We think you're great. Keep up the great work. In news... We do need to congratulate Rupert Grant and Georgia Groom for a baby girl. Congratulations. They haven't released the name yet, have they? I don't think so. I haven't seen it floating around, but regardless, congrats on y'all's baby girl. It's very exciting. That brings us to a close today. I do have a plug. I am bringing back a series I originally started as a YouTube series called Down the Rabbit Hole. It is a series of pop culture facts, and I am bringing it back as a podcast. And so first episode, as well as the full back catalog, should be available when this episode comes out. So y'all be sure to check out that link in the description. I'm interested to see what it's going to look like in a podcast format. Mostly the same. (laughs) Be sure to check out our website at spewpod.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at Spectrum People is our Twitter handle. We are also on Facebook. You can check us out at facebook.com slash spewcast. We are also on Instagram as well at spewpod is our handle and TikTok at spewcast. And our theme music is by Joan Burr. Until next time, I'm Queerness. And I'm Lavender. And as Luna Lovegood says, don't worry. You're just as sane as I am. Bye. Bye.